we're going to finish the show by returning to my conversation with Rachel Monroe. She says it might seem like true crime is particularly popular right now, but we've been here before. Yeah, well, it's funny when people always talk about the the true crime boom that we're happening that's happening right now, and there is a part of me that wants to say, well, aren't we constantly in a true crime boom? I mean, I, I do kind of feel like as as long as we've had mass media, these stories of crimes, of investigation, of bad deeds um, have always been really popular among humans. So our our fascination with them is is a pretty long standing thing. But what does seem to change is what kinds of stories are popular, how those stories are told, the medium. I tend to think that when a, when a new form comes out, the crime stories adapt themselves to the new form. I mean, they're just a great. Mm. So, so right now you'll see in these podcasts um, or on these TV shows, they're recapitulating stories that have been told many times before. I mean, how many, how much content can be produced about Ted Bundy, right? But it's still, you know, it's a story that maybe you think like this has been told over and over and over again. But when you have a new format, like, like the podcast or these, these limited series, the change in medium offers a kind of new way to package the story or to frame it and it reaches a new audience. I think there are a lot of reasons that um, true crime has has preoccupied people recently, but I, I think that the, these new forms is definitely one reason. Now, you just mentioned that a lot of these stories like Ted Bundy, they get told again and again and again. What, generally speaking, would you say some of these true crime narratives obscure or omit about the realities of crime? There must be the certain kinds of things that they focus on and other kinds of things that they just leave out. Definitely. Yeah, there's a. I mean, the the vast majority of violent crime in the United States doesn't look anything like the stories that we get in these true crime programs. In, in that way, I think it is. It can be a stretch to to refer to it as true crime. I mean, first of all, something that I always tell people that that shocks them is that if you look at the crime statistics in the United States, the murder statistics, the percentage of murders where a woman is murdered by a man is only like a quarter of the murders in the United States. But those crimes make up such an overwhelming proportion of the crimes that we see on TV that are covered in, mm. this, in the you know, paperback books and in the podcasts. And overwhelmingly um, and disproportionately, the crimes, the victims that we see um, depicted in these stories tend to be attractive, young, middle-class white women. Um, when we know mm. that that's typically not who is most at risk of being a victim of violent crime in our culture. So that's definitely one thing, like whose stories count, who's, what kind of victims are we granting attention and the spot, granting the spotlight to. Something that you don't hear a lot about in these true crime programs is that violent crime is actually way, way, way down um, mm. in the U.S. I peaked in the early 90s, and since then it's it's about half what it was then. But there are some very interesting studies done by Pew that ask people, do you feel like crime is going up or going down? And almost every single year, while violent crime is going down, people report the feeling that it's going up. And mm. I think that that can partly be attributed to the fact that we there's just so much attention to these violent stories in our media. So it can really skew our perception of how dangerous the world is and, and who is at risk. It does affect you. Let me ask one last question. 
you found that women are the biggest consumers of true crime. So why do you think that is? Why, why are women in particular drawn to those kinds of stories? Well, I think there are a number of reasons, and that's that was one of the reasons I wanted to write a whole book about it, because I think sometimes there can be reductive answers to that question, right? That women, um, and the one you hear a lot is women want to avoid being a victim. And so they they read these stories to to kind of get tips for how to avoid a serial killer. And and to me, that seems really reductive. I think the the motivations are really complex and layered. And But I think the thing that I hear a lot and that seems to be really primary is that these stories can often be a way to think about and metabolize trauma. And so people who have been victims of violent crime or have somebody close to them who've been victims of violent crime um, might turn to these stories to kind of work through feelings. But even if you haven't been the victim of a violent crime, if you're just sort of living life in a in a society where misogyny is a problem, um, where you deal with sexism, um, maybe you haven't been assaulted, but you've, you've feared being assaulted. Um, these things are just the, the threat of violence is something that's present in your mind in mm. a daily life. Then these stories are a way to acknowledge that fear and to deal with it in a way. Um, and, and sometimes it can deal with the fear by, by kind of stoking and alarming it. And, and sometimes it deals with it in a more nuanced way. But I do think that's something that a lot of women have told me what, what draws them into these stories. Huh. So, so in a way, though, the, the books and, and TV shows that are true crime, they're framing it and kind of almost suggesting that it's controllable because there's a beginning and a middle and I guess some of the time an end. So it's interesting. It sounds like what you're suggesting is um, that process of seeing these stories put in that form might be part of what draws women in. Exactly. I think that you hear a lot of people paradoxically refer to true crime as as soothing or relaxing, which on its Mm. surface sounds kind of hard to understand. But then the more that you watch it, you realize, yes, these stories are often told in a formulaic way. The threat is embodied in one bad guy, usually. Often he meets justice, right? These books and podcasts and stories often end with a trial with the, uh, the... doors to the jail slamming closed. And so there is this feeling, at least within the, the confines of the story, that, that justice has been served. It, it makes me think of um, the endless, countless iterations of Law and Order, mm-hmm. the TV show, um, which are so formulaic, right? There's a crime at the beginning, and then there's the two members of the police department hunting it down, and then there's the trial at the end, and then something happens, and it's resolved, and there's a happy, quirky little comment or a dark comment at the end, and it's over. And I can't say I'm hugely invested in true crime, but there was a period when I watched a heck of a lot of Law and Order, and I think that precisely what we're talking about here is what drew me in, is that they were predictable, and despite the fact that they were dark, the predictability of it was comforting. Yeah, definitely. And and I found in my life, I've definitely had periods of my life when I've turned to a lot of Law & Order, particularly Law & Order <laughs> SVU. And it's it's been in times of my life when I'm when there's a certain amount of like chaos or instability in my own life. And I think there is something about mm. these shows where they acknowledge that, you know, they they mm-hmm. don't pretend that the world is a is a rosy and happy place, but at the same time you have these these dogged investigators who won't stop until they get justice. And so it is a. It, it kind of stokes your fear and anxiety, and then assuages it. And that is a really powerful formula. 
Rachel Monroe is the author of Savage Appetites, Four True Stories of Women, Crime, and Obsession. <laughs> 